When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to episode 52 of Podcast Royal. We've got Kate's stunning birthday gift to us, an important royal resignation, Camilla's newest gig, a pudding contest, and the hardest working royals of 2021. Plus, we've got a special interview unpacking the Diana Cinematic Universe. Let's jump right in. It's episode 52 of Podcast Royal. How in the world are you? Awesome. How are you? I am good. I am good. You know, well, we didn't even talk about this offline, but I imagine that last night's national championship football game would have been a difficult one for you being from Georgia, but living in Alabama. Yeah. So I, yeah, I was watching, um, my sister graduated from UGA. She's a Georgia fan. Mm -hmm. Um, but I cheer for Alabama. Um, I, you know, living in Birmingham now, my my dad's been an Alabama fan for years. And so, um, I cheer for Alabama. So we were a little bit split last night. Um, my dad and I were cheering for Alabama. My mom and sister were cheering for Georgia just to make it fun. Um, (laughs) but I will say I am from Georgia. So, you know, the Georgia's got a little bit of my heart. Um, I thought, um, they, they've played really well this season and they deserve their win. So I'm happy for them. And I didn't realize I heard on the TV, it was like the first time in like four decades, they've won a champ, a national championship game. 1980. So, yeah. So they were super excited. Um, and, and I, I joked around with my sister and said, you know, Nick Saban gave it to him out of the goodness of his heart. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think that happened, but I, you know, they, I don't think Nick Saban gives anything away, but so I felt this is our Royal listeners, especially the ones in like, you know, Europe and Asia, what are they talking about? But it obliged me for a moment. So I went to sleep after the third quarter because the game was boring. I'm sorry. The game was boring until the fourth yeah, quarter. It was a little bit. And so I, I went to sleep. It was after 10 o'clock and I was tired. And then I woke up and the ESPN headline was the Georgia had won. And I was like, what happened? Because when I went to sleep, Alabama was ahead. So, I mean, I guess it's kind of like a, you can't really lose in your situation. Like somebody in your family is going to be happy. So for sure. Yeah. So go Georgia, um, go, go SEC. I'm sure our international listeners are very confused and they're like, wait, is this the podcast we signed up for? Yes, it is. But, um, what are you into this week? <laughs> so this week I am really into the Royal family Instagram account sharing yes. details on the upcoming platinum Jubilee. Um, they put some stuff in their stories. I know you saw it, Rachel, um, but in case listeners didn't already know, Queen Elizabeth will be the first royal to celebrate a platinum jubilee. And the account actually shared some of the festivities that will be going on during the celebration. And one that I noticed was a link um, that they shared on how to host your own jubilee lunch. Um <laughs> So, you know, we talked about that a while back. They're doing this big Jubilee lunch in the UK and on the website, there's a link. And even if you don't live in the UK, you can go online and you can request a packet be emailed to you. It's got information on how to host your own lunch in your own community. And I thought, how fun would that be, Um, you know, for royal watchers around the world who can't be in the UK for whatever reason during that time to come together in their own neighborhoods. And I thought, I wish we could do something, you know, where our listeners could get together and do a lunch. And, you know, I know we won't be able to all get together, but listeners, if that's something you're interested in, check it out. I think it's um, EdenProjectCommunities.com has all the details for that. How fun. I love that. We should should definitely do a lunch for the Jubilee. For sure. Even if it's just the two of us, we'll go. Yeah. 
<laughs> we can just go out to the pizza place and do, right. <laughs> and do it there. Put on some high tea hats and, and call it call it a good day. Um, well, for as for what I'm into this week, so the BBC's podcast, Harry, Megan, and the Media, was finally released. It was, I talked about this weeks ago, but it was substantially delayed after the princes and the press turned so controversial. So it's a five-part series. I think it's worth a listen. Maybe one of the more disturbing details I learned was about Harry's ex-girlfriend, Chelsea Davey, which just further proves that the British press can be completely out of control. I recommend listening. And on a lighter note, total change of gears, Camilla taught me something this week. You know, those red phone booths in London, the iconic red phone booths? Yeah, I actually have a picture standing by one. Yeah, because you've been there. That makes sense. So since those have basically been rendered useless because of cell phones, they are now being used for a different reason as book swaps. Did you see this on the reading room, Duchess of Cornwall's reading room Instagram? No, I missed that somehow. That's so cool. Yeah, so Camilla and I are both voracious readers. I love that these iconic phone booths are being reimagined for such a great reason. So obviously, instead of them being used to make a phone call, you open the door, there's books there, you uh, take a book, you give a book, and you have books in the phone booths. How cool is that? And she took a picture outside of one of them. That is really neat. I want to go check that out now. Um, What a fun way to repurpose those. Yeah, I can't remember if it was on stories or if it was a post, but anyway, I I thought that was absolutely brilliant. So let's move into the Royal Rundown. So first and foremost, want to wish a happy, happy birthday on January 20th to Sophie, Countess of Wessex. We love Sophie. We did a full birthday deep dive on her for her birthday last year. So if you want to go back and listen to that episode, uh, but just as a reminder, we love Sophie around here. Sophie is patron of over 70 organizations, such a valuable member of the family. I think I can speak for you when I say she's one of both of our personal favorites. So happy early birthday, your Royal Highness, and thank you for all the work you do. Um, Here's a birthday related question around our almost birthday girl. What do you admire most about Sophie? Gosh, it's so hard to think of one thing. You know, she just seems like such a nice person to me. Um, I, of course, love looking out for her fashion at events. Um, but, you know, I love her dedication to her family and she's so reserved. Um, she's actually got a very like motherly feel to her. She feels very like um, just like kind of like kind and warm and, and just someone that you could imagine baking Christmas cookies with, you know, but her other side is she, you know, is such a dedicated worker. Um, and, and she does put so much thought into, into the work she does, um, and the patronages she supports and she's just full of classic style and poise. And I really, you know, I don't know what, what there's to not like about her. Um, She's great. Happy birthday to her. Yes. I think she's one of the most loyal members of the family and, you know, it's very difficult, if not impossible to find any controversy on her. She's just nose to the grindstone. She loves her family. She loves the queen and the queen loves her, the queen, you know, she's basically the queen's second daughter and I just love her. So happy birthday, Sophie. And you've got a birthday coming up this month too. So all of my favorites are born in January. (laughs) (laughs) And speaking of birthday girls, we got stuff to talk about. I have three words for you. Kate's birthday portraits. Oh my goodness. So we're going to, I'm going to hear all your thoughts in just a second, but just in case listeners, you were under some kind of a rock this weekend. Um, My mom predicted this. We got a DM on Instagram from one of our listeners. Thank you. It's saying, is this what your mom was talking about? Because remember last week I was like, my mom said that there might be some photos. Well, sure enough, there were photos. So on Saturday, Kensington Palace released three commemorative birthday portraits of the Duchess of Cambridge shot by Paolo Reversi and taken in November at London's Kew Gardens. They are stunning. Uh, All I can say is that's our future queen, y'all. My, my, my. So they will be displayed in three locations that hold significance in Kate's life. Berkshire, where she was born. St. Andrews, where she met 
her future husband, William, in Anglesley, where she and William lived after they were first married. Kate is in, no surprise here, gorgeous Alexander McQueen. So shot number one features Kate looking off to the side. This is probably the most popular shot, if I had to guess. In a shot that looks like it comes from another time and another world, maybe Victorian era. It's dreamy and ethereal, and her engagement ring is prominently displayed. And eagle-eyed watchers notice that her diamond and pearl drop earrings are also from Princess Diana's collection. Then shot number two is Kate in dazzling red with a bold shoulder. She wears diamond earrings from Queen Elizabeth's collection. And the third image is maybe my favorite, although I deeply love all three. It's a close-up shot of Kate smiling right at the camera, looking beautiful and radiant. And, you know, I put this on our Instagram, but if this is 40 where do I sign? So <laughs> the three portraits will enter the permanent collection of the National Portrait Gallery, of which, of course, Kate is a patron. And until the gallery reopens in 2023, they'll be displayed across the aforementioned three locations, each of which has a deeply special meaning in her life. So how beautiful. I want to hear all of your thoughts. Yes, I was so excited to see these photos when they came out. So my personal favorite was the first photo in the soft gown where she's, you know, she's turned off to the side and she's looking off. Um, and, you know, I love how you can see Princess Diana's ring on her hand. The photo uh -huh. to me is soft and um, it looks like a classic royal photo to me. Loved her gown. Um, I think the one thing that I would have loved to see is a tiara. Um, yes. I think that would have made the photo. Um, although it, it was made on its own. She doesn't need a tiara, but I am a classic princess girl who loves <laughs> any excuse to wear a tiara if I had the opportunity. Um, but, you know, she's got these really pretty feminine bows on her shoulders. She's got the teardrop earrings and, and her long, soft curls. And I just thought it was stunning. The others were, were beautiful as well, but that was by far my favorite. Um, so I was really excited to see all the photos. Yeah, I, I think actually I read somewhere that George, Charlotte, and Louis chose the photo of her smiling straight on at the camera that was their favorite and that was their Aww. pick I know isn't that sweet so I wonder I don't know this so listeners if you do let us know but I don't know which photo is going to go where like which photo is going to go to Berkshire or which photo is going to go to St. Andrews but that will be interesting to see and I mean it was her birthday but she gave us a gift I mean just so 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 beautiful so um, any final thoughts on, on those photos? Just such a, such a beautiful woman, minimal makeup, minimal, if any, um, hair doing, um, just natural. She's just naturally so beautiful. And just, I, I adore this woman. I mean, we've listened to our last episode for, for proof that we adore where we fangirl a little bit in the last episode, but what yeah, I, um, I'll, I would love, you know, I'll love to see, um, if any fashion trends come out of this, um, if we start seeing, you know, a lot of red or, um, you know, what comes from this. I know a lot of people have been on this you know, long hair trend for a while now, but you're right. The natural makeup and, and everything. Um, I don't know. I think it, I think she's been a trendsetter for quite a while now. So we'll see what comes out of that, but you're right. It was, it was quite the gift. I thought it was a very appropriate, um, time to release that for her 40th birthday. So really great. Next time though, let's get a crown in there. I agree. Like yeah. okay. when you're a Duchess of Cambridge, you get to wear a crown. Wear a yeah, crown. Kate, put your princess crown on for, for all of us who love all of the, the glitz and glam. <laughs> Absolutely. But bravo is beautiful. And uh, bravo to Paolo Reversi. That's a name that we don't often talk about. Um, that's we talk about Mario Testino a lot and Alexi Lubomirsky, whose name I always say wrong. I'm so sorry. And then, um, you know, all of the photographers that, um, you know, 
Kate and Megan usually employ, but I've never, I've never heard of this name and he is so talented and just absolutely breathtaking. So the annual hardest working Royals list is out for 2021. And as we mentioned on the show a couple of weeks ago, Princess Anne took the top spot. She is 2021's hardest working Royal with 387 official engagements to her credit. But her older brother, Charles, wasn't far behind carrying off 385 himself, just two behind her and rounding off Rounding out, I can't speak. The top five is William with 235, Edward with 204, and the aforementioned Sophie with 194. So for her part, Her Majesty still was able to undertake an impressive 184 engagements, the majority of which were done virtually from Windsor Castle. This list is obtained by Tim O'Donovan, who annually tracks how many engagements each family member carries out. I'm sure that Anne's top spot does not surprise you at all. No, not at all. And, you know, I was thinking about Her Majesty, and this is one of those times where um, technology really comes in handy. And um, I I was actually surprised that um, Her Majesty actually did 184 um, engagements. That seems like a lot for a normal year, but it's been such a tough year and we've had all the pandemic protocols on top of everything. Um, so that's an impressive number and um, just, you know, really interesting how we've seen the palace pivot um, and start introducing so much technology and, and Zoom to allow for um, for virtual engagements. And that's been really cool. But yeah, Princess Anne is always working super hard. Not surprised by that one at all. So Anne, it always goes back and forth between Anne and Charles. Some years it's Charles, some years it's Anne. Charles was two behind. So they're always neck and neck with one another. But Way to go to the Princess Royal. So Camilla is the latest royal to guest edit a magazine. The Duchess of Cornwall will guest edit Country Life in July to celebrate her 75th birthday that same month. The magazine said in a press release, the special edition issue will reflect the Duchess's love of horses and dogs. She has two rescue Jack Russell Terriers, Bluebell and Beth, and is patron of Battersea Cats and Dogs Home. The Duchess will reveal her champions of the countryside, her most cherished view, and her favorite recipe. The edition will also focus on the work of the Duchess as patron of over 90 charities from Bernardo's to the Royal School of Needlework and the Royal Society of Literature. So interestingly, Camilla's son, Tom Parker Bowles, is a longtime contributor to the magazine, And he cheekily said, as a columnist for Country Life, I'm delighted my mother will be guest editing a special issue, but rather hoping she won't try to muck about with my copy. (laughs) So any, any thoughts on Camilla guest editing Country Life? Well, I'm excited to read this. Um, I didn't know her son was a writer, actually. So that's really cool. Um, You mentioned her love of dogs, and I myself am a dog lover. That's no secret. Every time we talk about Camilla and her dogs, I always remember that one time when she was at the Battersea Cats and Dogs home. I think that's where she was. And they were unveiling the plaque and she had her dog there and her little dog had, there was like the sausage tied to the curtain and the <laughs> dog put it in her mouth and like pulled the curtain back to unveil the plaque. And that was just so funny to me. I laugh every time I think of that. But I'll be interested to read this piece. I think that would be really, um, really fun. So that's yeah. a cool little, um, little thing she's doing that's awesome yeah so I mean of course she follows in the footsteps of Megan who guest edited British Vogue a couple of years ago and so we'll for sure be getting our hands on a copy of Country Life in July gotta write a note to remember to get that so William is calling for new submissions to this year's Earthshot Prize which could be held in the U.S. confirming nominations for 2022 are open while also recognizing last year's inaugural winners he said in a statement the 2021 winners and finalists have set the bar incredibly high as the nominations for 2022 open I can't wait to see what solutions the prize helps to champion this coming year in 2022 we are determined 
determined to go further by seeking even more nominations from every corner of the world, ensuring that we spotlight and scale the very best ideas and innovations that will put our planet on a sustainable path and protect our world for generations to come. So if I were a betting woman and COVID dependent, I'd say the Earthshot Prize Awards will be in New York City this year. I just have a gut feeling about that. I mean, LA is also up there because of Harry and Megan, but I just feel like it's New York City. What do you think? Well, we'll have to see. You know, I'm actually hoping it's not, and and here's why. So I think there are some really, really cool places in the U.S. that they could do this event. I do see how hosting it in a big city like New York or LA would make the most sense because if you draw a crowd like that, you really need the accommodations that a big city would offer. But I feel like for an event trying to really highlight the beauty of the earth and, and preserving the earth, it would be so cool to see it in one of the, you know, really gorgeous spots, like natural spots that we have in the U.S. versus, you know, kind of a stinky, bustling city that doesn't really seem all that environmentally friendly. Uh -huh. <laughs> That's just my opinion. Um, I get why they have to do it in, in bigger cities for accommodations and things like that. But I feel like uh, the U.S. has some really beautiful spots that even uh, the Royals probably haven't seen before. Oh, well, yeah, for sure. I don't know. That's a good point, actually. Maybe they could do like a, like a, I don't know, like North like 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 Nordal or something gorgeous, like yeah, or like out west in like, uh, like yeah. Colorado or Wyoming, like all Colorado, yeah, that would be beautiful. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Well, when we accept our invitations to the Earth Shop Prize, uh, U.S. Planning Committee, we'll we'll put those two together <laughs> for sure. So, okay, the Platinum Jubilee celebrations are about to begin. We're about to be talking about the Platinum Jubilee for the whole year, and I'm super excited about it, or at least until June. And last Thursday, the Royal Mint unveiled a new coin commemorating the February 6th event in the Queen's 70 years on the throne. The commemorative coin features her insignia and a 70, marking, of course, 70 years on the throne, and her majesty on horseback. I think the coin looks beautiful. Have you had a chance to see it? I have, and I agree. It is so beautiful, and I just couldn't help but imagine, like, what, what do you think it feels like from her perspective to have your face, I mean, on money in general, but then also, you know, commemorative coins, like I know in, in a sense, she doesn't know anything different, but I just can't imagine what it would be like to be, to have that level of popularity around the world where your face is on money. You know, it's so interesting. <laughs> well, I don't think she probably handles a lot of money, but, uh, so she probably doesn't see it very much. Like I just, I can't imagine that she's just got like some dollar bills. Like I don't even carry cash and I'm certainly not her majesty. So, um, I, but yeah, that's, that's, that's just bizarre or to walk in. Like when I've said this story once, I've said it a thousand times when I went into the Bahamas, um, we just went into a store. Like it was just a, a regular old store. And there was a, a photograph of the queen and like, just to be, just to see your face everywhere. Just, I, I, I mean, it's like you said, she's used to this by now, but, but yeah, um, I mean, these commemorative coins are, they're really pretty. Um, they, you know, it would certainly be fun to have one. And I, um, I was, I was looking at them and gosh, um, but yeah, I don't know. It, it's just an interesting thing to think about. You know, everyone is looking forward to the Jubilee and, it's, you know, people are going to be talking about it around the world. And I just kind of wonder what, what she thinks about all of that. I know, I know, I know. And by the way, speaking of the Jubilee, I have found a platinum Jubilee contest. I think you need to enter. I'm not kidding. I'm 100% serious. So earlier this week, Buckingham Palace announced a new pudding contest to make a dessert that will be named after the queen. You have to be eight and up. So check. Um, and five finalists will then be presented before a judging panel, including your favorite Dame Mary Berry and Buckingham Palace head chef Mark Flanagan. So after they choose a winner, the recipe will be made available to the public and will be served at lunches during the Jubilee weekend. And I'm not kidding. You're really good in the kitchen. I think you should enter. 
So I actually saw this when I was checking out the Royal Family Instagram account when they were sharing all the information about the Jubilee. And I have to admit, I did actually go to the website to see what the entry requirements are just out of curiosity. Um, listeners, if you don't already know, I do love to cook and I love to bake. However, I am no professional, um, especially when it comes to baking. I don't really create my own recipes. I do modify them often, uh, but I just don't know. I mean, I don't know that I would be confident enough to enter this contest. That's um, that's a lot, uh, a lot of uh, planning and preparation to put something in there like that. It would be really, really cool. But I wonder if contestants have to live in the UK. I actually didn't check that requirement Ooh. out when I looked. That's probably that may disqualify me. <laughs> that may disqualify you, but if that doesn't disqualify you, I think that what like who would want to be the the taste tester of all of these recipes? Like some of them are going to taste really good, and some of them are going to be really, really, really bad. And like somebody's going to have to taste all of. Them. <laughs> well, so I don't know. I didn't look to see how they would do this, but I'm wondering if. I mean, do you submit your recipe and then the chefs at the palace follow your recipe and then taste their own version and then I out of the best and call in the five finalists, maybe? I don't know. I mean, I, just for safety reasons, I can't imagine that they'd like take your submission and like say, <laughs> oh, here's Johnny Appleseeds, you Mail know. Mail us your dessert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, and it's been in the mail for two weeks and you know, here's lost and all the COVID <laughs> <mail> back up. <laughs> Here, here's the pudding. I mean, yeah, I would say you submit the recipe and they go from there. But I mean, Wait. some of them are going to be delicious and some of them are going to taste terrible, probably. You know what would be cool that we could do on here is brainstorm what we would submit if we were participating. Uh-huh. Come up with something and share it on the pod. Uh-huh. Ask our listeners if they think that what we would come up with would be good. I I mean that's all you, sister. <laughs> that has your name written all over it because I don't have anything to contribute when it comes to pudding, but that's you got it. Go for it. <laughs> all the way. I think you should enter, but if, but you know, you might not be able to, but if you can, I'm just saying. But um, so that's fun. Like, I think a lot of things like that are going to be popping up between now and June. And, you know, it's just a good year to celebrate. Let's let's have some fun. My gosh, after two years of COVID and just all the ugh, let's let's have some fun. and Let's eat some pudding, whether, you know, hopefully it's good pudding. But um, that's I don't know. I still vote. Yes. But yes, bring bring a recipe on here and we'll. We'll have some and I'll let you know how it tastes. I'm a good taste right. tester. Right. <laughs> um, okay. Total, again, total right turn. So I was shocked to see this. Jason Knopf, who is the CEO or was, I guess, the CEO of the Royal Foundation, has announced that after seven years working for the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge in Kensington Palace, he is moving to India to join his husband on a diplomatic posting there. He began his royal career as communications secretary, then CEO, where together with the royals, he has helped build heads together, the aforementioned Earthshot Prize, Kate's Center for Early Childhood. He's traveled to 36 countries all over the UK as a part of his work. He said in a statement, I've been so proud to support the unique, optimistic leadership of the Duke and Duchess during a period where we've confronted a pandemic, the climate crisis, a seismic shift in our attitudes to mental health, and so much more. I'm grateful to all our partners and supporters who have believed in our ability to achieve extraordinary things by working together. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. I was, I was taken aback by this announcement. Well, we knew he was stepping away from this role, right? I, I didn't. And maybe I did. I miss I, that. Oh, am I losing my mind? Fairly certain. We have already heard this for a while now that he was stepping out <laughs> of this role, but I didn't know details on why or where he was going. Because I remember hearing this, wasn't it after the Harry and Meghan interview on Oprah? Something came out about it, or, or sometime around. I'm googling this all right of this now. Kind of. Un unraveling. I, I recall hearing about this already because I, yeah, I you're right. going. 
You're um, right. So not right. surprised by that news, but, um, but interesting to hear that he'll be going to India. Um, so excited for that. And, um, he's had a really, it looks like great run working with the Royals. I mean, gosh, 36 countries. Um, yeah, that's exciting. Um, I'll be interested to see, um, you know, the direction that the Royals go, um, with, with filling his, um, his role there and, and what he'll do after that. I mean, wow. How cool would that be to have worked so closely with them, um, for a part of your career? Yeah. For seven years. Add that on your resume. Gosh. Oh yeah. Well, and all the things he's been able to do in seven years. So farewell. And sorry, if I'm dredging up old news, cause that was, <laughs> that was news to me. So I don't know, maybe I'm asleep at the wheel, but, um, okay. Again, another right turn. So Kate, isn't the only Royal with a hidden talent. Charles is quite the painter. 79, 79, that's a lot of paintings of the Prince of Wales watercolor paintings will be on display at London's Garrison Chapel until Valentine's Day, the first full exhibition of his work. The paintings feature outdoor scenes from Africa, France, Scotland, and more. And he told the Scotsman he took up painting after finding, I think this is funny, his mother's photography hobby less than thrilling. He said, quite simply, I experienced an overwhelming urge to express what I saw through the medium of watercolor and to convey that almost inner sense of texture, which is impossible to achieve via photography. So I don't know if you've had a chance to look at Charles's artwork, but it's good. So are you impressed by Charles's artwork? Yeah, well, I haven't seen it yet. I'll have to go check it out, but I'm impressed by the news and I'm just like, what in the world? I mean, we've got Kate over here, professional photographer, piano player, tennis master. Charles is, a, you know, an artist. Um, you know, Prince Philip was an artist as well. Um, I wonder if Charles learned some of his skills from his dad. Yeah. Yeah. You know, my grandfather was in the family. Yeah. Oh yeah. My grandfather was a big painter. I love to paint. I am not good. Um, I mean at all, like paint when I paint, it's like one of the few times where I feel like no pressure to be perfect. It's just, I just enjoy doing it. I certainly am never going to have an exhibition, but, um, I, my grandfather was a great painter and it was always fun to see. Like I still have so many of his paintings around my house. And so I think that is a really, he's a great, he's talented. So um, all of the uh, engagements that they do throughout the year, I don't know how they find the time to paint. We were just talking about all of the, before we started recording, Rachel and I were talking about the skills of our grandmothers back in the day and how they like to sew and, and do all of this. And there's so many like great talents that, you know, skills that people just, you know, don't do as much as they used to with all of the, you know, technology and everything we have distracting us today. So that's really cool. There's a lot of talent in that family for sure. No doubt. No doubt. And by the way, as we wrap up the Royal rundown, as of this recording, we don't have any news on Andrew. We would have, we would have for sure led with that if, if it had, if the judge has made his decision. So we'll continue to stay tuned for the judge's decision. Maybe that will be complete by our next episode. So moving into segment two, Royals around the world. So last week it was confirmed that Sweden's King Carl Gustav and Queen Sylvia tested positive for COVID. I hate to hear this. The palace announced that the couple have mild symptoms and are feeling well given the circumstances. The palace also said that both the king who is 75 and the queen who is 78 have both had three vaccinations. So of course we wish them nothing but good health and are thinking of them. That was like, I think that news came out on Wednesday of last week, like right after our episode dropped. So hopefully they're feeling almost fully back to normal, I pray. And we've talked a lot on the show about Japan's Princess Mako, or former Princess Mako, we should say, but we're thrilled to potentially introduce you to Princess 
Aiko, I think I'm saying that correctly, A-I-K-O of Japan, who took part in her first royal outing recently. So she is the daughter of Emperor Naruhito and Empress Masako. She joined her parents in a New Year's celebration on January 1st at the Imperial Palace in Tokyo. This is her first outing since starting her public duties with the Imperial family after turning 20 on December 1st and greeting the press at a coming-of-age party on December 5th at the Imperial Palace. You know we can't get enough of these royals around the world. So um, one more royal to love. So any other um, news or anything for, for the good of the order before we go into segment three? I don't think so. That was a fun episode today. It was a fun episode. So um, segment three, we got the chance to talk to, or I should say I got to because you had internet issues. I'm so sad that you didn't want to join me for this interview. So when you see it's just, or you won't see, when you hear it's just me, um, you had internet issues and couldn't join. So I hate that. Yeah, for sure. I was really wanting to be on there with you guys and I'll be listening in with all of our regular (laughs) listeners (laughs) since I had to miss it, unfortunately, but sometimes, you know, technology happens and yeah. It happens. Well, I got the chance to talk to Lauren Puckett-Pope of Elle Magazine about a piece she wrote on the Diana Cinematic Universe, and it is such a fascinating and compelling piece. We'll put it in the show notes. So take a listen to our conversation. One of our favorite magazine pieces recently was written by Elle's Lauren Puckett-Pope and is called Have We Reached the Peak of the Diana Cinematic Universe? Listeners, this is a must-read piece. We've talked about it on the show at least once or twice. So a little about Lauren before we dive in. Lauren is an associate editor at Elle covering news and culture and has also written for other Hearst magazines we love like Cosmopolitan, Harper's Bazaar, and Esquire. Lauren, welcome to the show. Hello, I'm so happy to be here. I'm, I'm really excited about this. Well, we'll talk about this on the show, listeners, but Jessica's not here. She's having internet issues, so it's just me. So I hope I can handle this topic appropriately alone, but this is one I'm super passionate about. So I want all listeners, first of all, we'll link this in the show notes to go read the piece, but let's talk about it. So it, let's, it's about Diana, who is just everywhere right now. And what inspired you to write this piece and ask the question so many of us royal followers have wondered, have we reached the peak of the Diana cinematic universe? You know, it's funny because I I really historically haven't been a huge royal fan, which is not to say that I didn't like them, but I just was never really, you know, sort of um, on the bandwagon, so to speak. You know, I, I'd watched The Crown and I and I enjoyed it, but I, I wasn't super, super sucked in. And then the whole Meghan Markle debacle happened and again, found that interesting and, and paid attention to it, but still wasn't, you know, all in the way that I, I kind of am now. Yeah. And it, it, but it was, it was the Oprah interview that I think really, really did it for me. I, I watched that and there was just something, I mean, I think all of us experienced it. There was something about that interview and the candor and the emotion um, that she and Prince Harry demonstrated that I found very troubling and yet very transfixing um, at the same time. And Simultaneously, you know, as an entertainment writer, you're sort of trained to sniff out these weird trends in Hollywood. And I had noticed that there were multiple Diana-related projects coming out in 2021, um, just kind of looking at the the release calendar. And at first, I, I didn't think a whole lot of it. But then I started looking at how different they all were. You know, you had Diana the musical, which in and of itself is just like, what? <laughs> and then yeah, that's there's right. the crown, of course. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's the crown, of course, um, which it didn't have a season coming out in 2021, but it was still very much in sort of the, the cultural consciousness. There's Spencer, um, you know, and then the, the Lifetime Harry and Meghan movies, which again, Diana didn't feature prominently in those, but she was still there, you know, Bonnie Soper in the role. And I just, I was like, why? (laughs) And 
so I sort of went down this whole rabbit hole. Um, and, and when I heard the, the positive buzz around Spencer in particular, I became really intrigued by this question of what has changed about these these films because what I found when I started doing some digging was that there were a bunch of these Diana movies that had just completely and utterly bombed you know yeah. or at least in a, in a critical sense they had bombed you know even those ones that were successful from a from a financial standpoint most of them were pretty maligned <laughs> yeah. by critics and uh you know I just I wanted to know what's different now. And, and furthermore, why do we still care in the first place? Um, so anyway, I, I bought three different books about Diana and just completely got lost in the subject. <laughs> no, and you, I mean, this this article is, is probably now that 2021 is done and I can put a cap on it, probably my favorite article of 2021 uh, oh, in, in terms of the royals. And so, you know, you said it, we've got Spencer, we've got the crown, we've got Diana, the musical, Diana, the six part CNN docuseries, the Lifetime movies, which I'd forgotten about. And that's just present day pop culture. Like that's just 2021 and especially the latter half of 2021. Yep. So, you know, I've said on the show before, the ending of the story with Diana, it never changes, right? She she's she dies in a car crash in Paris, but we can't get enough of Diana. Even yeah. almost 25 years, this year will mark 25 years after her death. Is there such a thing as too much Diana content? And if there is, are we there? I mean, of course it depends on whom you would ask. I would say the answer to that question pretty much across the board with anyone or anything is yes. I mean, there's always too much of a good story. And when that happens, the story goes bad. I mean, think of all the TV shows that have gone on for too many seasons and they end up losing all sense of direction. Um, so I think, yes, there is such thing as quote unquote, too much Diana content. But I think the difference with Diana and, you know, sort of your, your average story that gets rebooted or, or, or done a number of different times is that there are so many dimensions to her story. There is still so much ground to cover because, well, let me put it this way. Diana's is still one of those stories that, that never really ended. I mean, you kind of alluded to that in your question, which is there was no sort of tidy resolution to this, this tale. It, yes, she died, but we're still seeing the impacts of her life play out in real time, both sort of in the broader cultural consciousness, but of course in her own family, you know, Harry and Meghan and, and Prince William and his family, there's, there's a lot of sort of almost uncanny reflections of what Diana went through that we're still seeing now. So I think there is still plenty of room for, you know, Diana content. Um, but I think for it to have any sort of staying power, it has to be smart in the way that Spencer and the Crown have been smart. If yeah. that makes sense. No, absolutely. And you know, I mean, I I think personally that the market is oversaturated. Yet I continue to tune in to every offering presented about Diana. I always will. Um, and but you know, why why do so many of us do the same? What is it about Diana? Like, I mean, I if if someone could pinpoint it, we we would have done it already. But what what is it about Diana that compels us so? Uh, I mean, it, it it is the uh the hardest question about her. I mean, I think even in death, she is someone who is difficult not to love, which is a very rare quality for, for most people anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And I sort of mentioned this or, or dug into it a little bit in the piece, although I, you know, you could do a whole different piece or probably a whole other book about this very specific part, but, you know, she sort of predated what we now know of as quote unquote cancel culture. And I use that term very carefully because it's of course been twisted politically and, and means a lot of different things to different people. But I just mean this sense that, you know, someone can kind of be the, the, you know, they do something and then the whole world, you know, supposedly hates them for it and they have to, you know, go into social media hiding, you know, that sort of thing. She, she was before celebrity news became the sort of fan-fueled vessel that it is today. She sort of eclipsed her own downfall and, and, and also, you know, I mean, she's been made sort of ethereal in death, very angelic. Um, mm -hmm. And I think now 
were fascinated by the things that in her life she was she was disliked for and and I, and because she was I mean she was a very liked figure that is true but she also had plenty of critics and and I mean oh, yeah. not just within the family that you know the media was was pretty relentless with her at certain times in her life mm -hmm. and I think now we love her paradoxes these complexities I mean personally why I became so invested in her story was because she was not always a very good person you know she could yeah. be quite selfish she could be cruel in her most desperate moments and I'm not saying she didn't have good reason to be she but was layered she was complex that is probably exactly. one of the best words I can think of to describe Diana she was a complex person exactly and I think you know, those are the sorts of characters that we've loved since the dawn of storytelling and will probably love forever more. So in a sense, I don't think it's that there was any one thing that was so unique about Diana that is so different from, from anybody else. It's just that she let us see that. And I think we're still seeing it in, in, in waves since her death, this, you know, this complexity, um, that I think it's just pretty ubiquitously magnetic, um, yeah. I would say. She is that, she is magnetic. I can't ever turn off the television, even if it's bad, even if the writing's terrible, even if the acting's terrible, I can't turn it off. And exactly. if the writing's good and the acting's good, I really can't turn it off. <laughs> so, you know, we actually had some good offerings this year of Diana. We also had some bad ones too, but um, what was, what Diana content compelled you the most in 2021? I think in 2021, it's probably Spencer. Um, I just, I mean, there, I think there are flaws with it for sure. And, you know, could do a whole other podcast episode on that specifically. You probably have, but, we have. <laughs> but I think that, you know, it was so intriguing the way that the director Pablo and the writer Stephen Knight chose to view her story you know I mean I Pablo kept using the term over and over that it's a fable and and you know perhaps that is the right word for it perhaps it isn't but it was this very very particular lens of you know her her sort of boxed in feeling I mean it, it it's sort of like a horror film but at the same time it has these really beautiful moments with her and her sons and there's this sort of gorgeous release at the end and you know I, I don't think it's necessarily the most true to Diana's story from a from a you know scene by scene standpoint right. but I do think that it was so much more reflective of how she actually felt than a lot of other films have been and I think that's why so many people have have liked it too and, and it's been so well critically received so I would say that was the one for me that I was you know I, I was watching it and, and thinking in the back of my mind like oh well I'm not sure that, that actually happened but in a, in a way I, I don't care because I think this is true Diana would watch this and be like yeah that's how I felt you know yeah yeah, yeah. what about of all time um thinking Naomi Watts or Emma Corrin, um, what's, what's your most compelling Diana content or Diana portrayal of all time? I like them all for such different reasons. Um, they're all kind of artifacts of their, their period, but I think if we're just sort of talking the all around best representation, the most truest to fact, the, you know, while still sort of getting the, the great irony of her life, I think it has got to be the crown. I mean, Emma Corrin, she just does such a brilliant job exploring the contours of Diana's personality, and especially because she's only playing uh, you know, the early part of her life when she was, she was very young and, and bashful and, and, you know, as she was known back then, the English Rose, like she just does that so, so, so well. Um, and I, and I have little doubt that Elizabeth Debicki will do the same when the, when the next season. I can't season wait comes. to see her. Oh my goodness. I can't. I think she's going to be phenomenal. I, I, even just the, the set photos that we've, we've gotten have looked amazing. So I just, I, it's an incredible show. They do really extraordinary work. Um, and, and I'm, I'm certainly hopeful that that's going to continue. Well, I want to take it back to the piece for a moment. So the piece opens with the brilliant lines, the great irony of Diana, the late princess of Wales was simple. 
She was as much a creator of media as she was its creation. The British press might have forced the blushing teenaged English rose to blossom, but Diana's own tactics are why, 24 years after her tragic death, multiple award-nominated celebrities are playing her. Oh, it's good, good, good writing, Lauren. And so unpack this for us and tell us if, if Diana could somehow know that the frenzy over her was still palpable, what do you think she would say? Because the piece touches on this. Mm, you know, she was a media genius. I, I really do believe that. So I, I, I think brilliant. Just, I mean, completely brilliant. She, she, the fact that she would call up reporters and, and establish these relationships, that she would arrange photo calls. I mean, it's, it's kind of the predecessor for exactly the sort of circus that we see today, you know, with, with Kanye West and Julia Fox and all that mess, you know, very, very, so many very, thoughts on that, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> Don't we all podcast, but oh my gosh. I mean, such different personalities, of course, but, but you get how those, those, those two sort of events uh, or, or you know whatever like I said the circus is is similar Diane knew what she was doing or at the very least she knew how to wrestle within a system that she couldn't escape um and so she you know I think she found the best way that she could to survive and to some degree thrive I mean she loved the spotlight there's no question of that she craved the attention even when it was sucking her dry so I do think that she'd be enamored with the idea that there were still movies being made with about her. I mean, I, I think that's somewhat obvious that she would like the idea of, of her legacy still being explored in that way. And I mean, and she loved Hollywood, she loved Broadway, mm -hmm. she loved pop culture. Um, but I also think simultaneously that she would feel as trapped by it now as she did then. I mean, I think she, we, she would be sort of equally proud and and horrified by what has happened to her son and to Meghan Markle and yeah. there's no doubt that that saga has been spurred you know at the very least if not catalyzed by this sort of media obsession and 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 you know the sort of relentless um gaze that is that is upon them and and to be fair much of that has come from inside the royal family but again all these sort of things are connected so i think that Diana would feel much the same in 2021 as she did decades ago. You know, I think she'd be in love with the attention and I think she'd also feel trapped by it. Mm. Do you think that Diana fervor will ever settle down or are we just going to continue to get resurgence after resurgence every generation as a new crop of young people learn her story? Because, you know, for me, the crown and everything as someone who followed the Royals when I was you know, from a young child up to the present day, I remember when it was happening in the nineties, you know, I mean, I remember the first time around now, this is my second time around with this. Yeah. And will we have a third time around when another generation is, is learning Diana's story? Will it ever settle down? I think inevitably it has to die down to a degree. You know, I think celebrity obsessions come and go. There's there's going to be um, fluctuations to the amount of, of attention that we give this particular story, which is why I sort of asked the question, you know, is this the peak? And, yeah. and to be honest, I don't know. I mean, there might be a bigger peak in another, you know, generation or so, but I do think that we're kind of at a peak at the very least right now where, you know, probably in the, the next few years, we might see a little bit less of this, but Again, I think that this story has uh, the sort of staying power of royal icons ahead of her. I mean, Spencer does such a good job implying this with the, the um, sort of parallels between Diana and Anne Boleyn. Um, mm -hmm. That's another character from, you know, many, many, many generations ago that we are still interested in. There are still shows being made about Anne Boleyn. I mean, she, we had the Jodie Turner Smith show this year. Um, so I think we might not have another era necessarily where there are, you know, four Hollywood projects in the works about Diana, but I also don't think she's anywhere near, you know, disappearing from our record. And I, and I frankly, I don't think she ever will. I think she, her story is unique enough and compelling enough and, and timeless enough, you know, I mean, the, the fairy tale princess who, you know, 
has this this terrible thing happen to her and and sort of spurs a movement that's a pretty um <laughs> to use pablo's term i mean that that's a fable that that sticks with us and i think probably always will i'm i'm curious to know what the most compelling piece of research that you learned from writing this piece was or what was the most fascinating interview you had mm. I mean, I loved learning about Diana's complexity, just sort of generally. I think I went into this piece similarly to how a lot of people approach her of like, oh, you know, she was she was the fairy tale princess. She was so perfect. Um, and then, you know, she was so um, hurt by this system, which, again, is true. Absolutely. But like I said earlier, she also had uh, a lot of a lot of her own flaws that I think I was really, really deeply drawn to and interested in. But as far as particular research for this piece and in a particular interview that stood out, I was really, really, really interested by and thankful for my interview with Serena Scott Thomas. She played Diana in the film adaptation of Diana, her true story, the, the Andrew Morton book that, mm -hmm. you know, set the whole world on fire at the time. And she was so, I mean, she hadn't done an interview about it in years. I don't, I, I, I mean, I know she hadn't done one in years. I'm not sure that she had done one since the film had come out or at least, you know, soon afterwards. Um, but it, at the very least had been a long time since she talked about it and she was so gracious about it and very open. Um, I mean, she was, she was very honest about the fact that it's an experience she regrets. It was not the most positive experience. Um, she loves Diana, but she feels that she in some way contributed to, you know, sort of the, the fervor that, that cracked the Royal family. I, I mean, it, I don't, I don't mean to imply that she blames herself in any way. She sure. doesn't, but just that, I think she feels like she was a part of that, um, vessel that, that sort of, mm -hmm. you know, steamroller yeah. and, that was really, really, really interesting to me because it's extremely, extremely rare. I mean, first of all, to get any actress to be that candid um, on the record, but especially for someone to be that reflective of, of a, an acting experience. You know, most of the time, if, if someone has had a, a, an acting experience that perhaps wasn't perfect, they might say, you know, oh, you know, it wasn't perfect, but, you know, I wouldn't change it or, you know, whatever. Whereas she was very open about, you know, this, this wasn't the story that she thinks should have been told in the way that it was. And, and I think we can disagree or agree on that, but the fact that she had done that that thinking and had reflected on it and felt that way was really interesting to me. And I think it sort of solidified the broader question of, of you know, creating quote unquote content about Diana and the sort of moral questions that, that stem from that. Um, so that was deeply, deeply interesting to me. And I continue to be very, very thankful for, for that interview and her honesty. Yeah, I really appreciated her, her, add, she added so much to the piece for sure. And, you know, I'm wondering what, what do you hope readers get from reading this piece? I know what I got. And I, I like I said, we're going to, we're going to link this in the show notes. We're going to make sure um, listeners get a chance to read it if they haven't already. But what do you hope readers get out of, out of this, this really solid piece? Well, if you don't mind me asking, I would love to know, before, and I, I will answer your question, I absolutely will, but I would love to know what you got out of it and, and see how it kind of compares to what my my uh, my intention was. Sure. Oh my gosh. Well, I would say, you know, it's it's a snapshot of culture because this is, this is, it's so rare to see so many cultural offerings on one person that's been dead for 25 years or 24 years in 2021. And, you know, you just ask the question, what basically, what is it about this woman that mm -hmm. we are so compelled by? And that, and that is a question I've, I mean, I am a Royal commentator, you know, I, I don't have that answer. And I, and I talk about Diana all the time and, mm -hmm. you know, it's just, it really, for me, put it all together that, this is, and, and that'll be the last question I ask you in a moment is, you know, what is Diana's impact on culture? And I think that this piece really starts to tap into that. And that's, that's what I got out of it is that just, she's just such a cultural force mm -hmm. and, you know, she can, and, and what is it that keeps us coming back 
to to watch you know adaptations of her um whether it's you know documentary style like the cnn docuseries or if kristen stewart playing her in spencer or um you know what what is it and and i just it, that magnetism i don't know i that was rambled but no 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 i mean you think and all good all of my favorite pieces make me think yeah. and your piece made me think well, you are so incredibly kind and I, and I'm absolutely over to, over the moon to hear that, that, you know, you enjoyed the piece this much. I think what I'm wanting to get at was a lot of what you're talking about, sort of the, the power of a central figure story and the way that it can fluctuate over time, depending on who, you know, has the power of narrative. I think the other thing that I was interested in was that, you know, a reader walks away from this sort of recognizing themselves within the fervor, you know, we fuel this, this obsession. And I mean, I, I include myself in that 100%. And I don't necessarily think that that's like a bad thing that we need to have some sort of moral reckoning about that or anything like that. But just the fact that we are all part of this story now, you know, I mean, either literally because we're in Hollywood making these films or because we're consuming them and we are creating the, the, uh, you know, attention that these stories get and, and perpetuating Diana's story over time. Um, and so I think we have all sort of become, <laughs> this is such a corny thing to say, but like part of the Diana cinematic universe in that we are, we are part of the experience of it. Um, and, and for that reason, you know, to kind of go back to a question you asked earlier, I do think that there is, there's a, a way for this, this to continue if, if the, the power of the, you know, the narrative can be carried about, or, you know, by people who, who care uh, deeply enough about it. And, um, and I think right now we're seeing that a lot of people do because as you were saying, again, Diana was such a uniquely, again, magnetic uh, figure. So that was my, my hope was to kind of, as you're saying, probe at those ideas and, you know, just to some degree pay tribute um, to, to someone who I think very much has has a clutch on a lot of people for reasons that maybe they can't even quite express. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I can't. I, you know, I'm a, writer, <laughs> I'm a writer and a royal podcaster. I don't have the words. And, you know, I hope on my best day that my that my pieces that I write are like your, like this one is. This is this is just it's it's just so good. It, it, like I said, it's my favorite piece of. 2021 and I read a lot of, of magazine articles well, so it means the absolute world to me thank you you are is much deserved much deserved so as we wrap up I, it's such a large question Lauren but how do you quantify Diana's impact on culture in 2021 and coming in now to 2022 with the with the crown season five coming up um, how did how do you impact how do you quantify her impact on culture this past year oh. I mean, you could tackle that from so many different angles. I mean, movies, fashion, the celebrity news cycle. But I think the thing I always come back to is that there could not be a Meghan Markle without the Princess Diana, you know, or, or at least we wouldn't have the Meghan Markle we have now without the Princess Diana that we have is probably a better way or that we had is probably a better way of putting that. You know, I think she recognized more than most during her era, the power of, uh, of a fan base, you know, because that's, that's what the, the British public, especially at the time became were, were her, her fan base. And I think even though she predated social media, she understood that she could reach people, you know, either quite literally, you know, when she would go to, to hospitals or whatever and, and actually physically touch people, or through her sort of hold over the media. And I think that that has forever, forever altered the way that public figures interact with the people who love them. I think it, it we see so many um, sort of ripples of that in, in celebrity culture now of, you know, Diana, and I'm not saying that people do it as well as she did it by any means, but we still see people sort of trying to, to 
evoke her and 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 do the sort of things that she did and and I think it has changed how we as fans interact with these icons both literally but also on a more subconscious level you know consuming these films and these projects and thinking really deeply about what these lives are doing to our psyche you know I mean there was a story in the New Yorker the other day about the the you know uh Kim Kardashian, Pete Davidson, Kanye, all that sort of thing. Like those are the types of celebrity stories that that I at least personally believe might have been overlooked if we hadn't had and I and I don't <laughs> I don't mean to keep, you know, comparing Kim Kardashian and Princess Diana cuz they're just I mean there's a lot of parallels there. So I mean there are, but face. You know, I, I I don't mean to I guess put them on the same level to a degree, but I do think we wouldn't be paying attention in the way that we are now if we hadn't started to pay attention in the way that we did with Princess Diana. And that's, if I had to summarize, you know, her impact on culture, I feel like that that is a big, big piece of it is the way that she could, even from within this, this very, very restrained place both mentally and physically and spiritually you know I mean she was about as sort of contained as you can get to still have the ability to to touch people um I think has taught us as a culture a lot about the power of of a person's story and that that really deeply fascinates me um because I think we've seen it play out in both really wonderful ways that are good for society. And we've also seen it play out in, in really, you know, tragic ways as we saw with her. Um, so I don't know. I think that's, if her legacy had to be boiled down to one singular thing, which of course it can't be, but if it had to be, I would say that's probably it. Mm. I got a lot to think about my friend. I think <laughs> I, I, I have appreciated this conversation so much. I hate that Jessica couldn't be here with us. I know she sends her regrets, but thank you so much for being here. This has been such a pleasure. I, I love, love, love dissecting these things. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's one thing to, to dissect it in a piece. And in some ways that that's its own very uh, cathartic and, 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 fascinating experience but I also love doing it in conversation like this because you know it has to be very very spontaneous and, and you just kind of you get to to really think it through in a different sort of way so I really appreciate you inviting me on the show this has been a pleasure you keep writing pieces like that and you're you got a standing invitation my friend we need more real <laughs> content from you so that I'm putting that I'm putting that on the universe right now but thank I, you I'm on it here. thanks for being here <laughs> thank you so much again Well, I hate that you couldn't be there with us, but thank you again, Lauren, for that really interesting conversation. And um, listeners, please follow her work. She is a very, very talented writer and Elle is lucky to have her. She's amazing. So again, wish you were there. Wasn't the same. Yeah, me too. Um, but I hope all of our listeners have a wonderful rest of their week um, and we'll be back here next week. And by the way, we have been killing it on the Instagram game. I'm just saying we have been, we have been out there. So, um, so you should actually like for many, many weeks, it was an empty follow, but you should really actually consider following us now because we have some good content happening. We are on Instagram at podcast Royal as always email us at hello podcast Royal at gmail.com follow rate review the show episode 52 in the books we'll be back with a super exciting interview i can't even believe we have this guest for episode 53 i'm just beyond thrilled so you'll have to stay tuned to see who that is but until then have a great week bye bye